It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PC Nerd 37 to most everybody on the internet. And on the other end of Skype is my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Hey, Jeremy. Things are going great. Yeah, that's good to hear. How's things going with your startup? Uh, things are going really, really um, well, right now we uh, just made feature complete, so we're in the alpha phase, uh, going through some testing, uh, making a note of you know button layouts, drop downs, uh, doing the copy, so make sure the labels are correct. Um, a lot of work ahead, but I'm excited that we've gotten this far so far, so so quickly. Well, that's good to hear. Have you ever said publicly just what your startup is about? Uh, yeah, the name of the company is called Word Ripple. It's uh, a site to match advertisers with nonprofits so that when nonprofits send out messaging, uh, it has a little ad with it so that nonprofits raise money at the same time as they ra- raise awareness for their causes. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you ha- um, is there anybody that's already doing something like that? I mean, outside of like an AdWords or something? Not that I know of. Uh, it's a pretty unique service. Um, there are similar services that do something similar through donations, um, not really through advertising, um, and not in a platform model. So mine's a platform, so it's fully automated, in which I not only do the matching, uh, I handle the bids, the money transaction, and also um, I'm using Twitter as a messaging platform uh, backbone. So I handle the message and I track the click-throughs and everything dealing with that. Oh, that, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm not having the best of time with ads myself. Um, like I'm sure pretty much everybody knows at this point, Global Geek News has pretty much been banned by Google being basically all the other search engines, at least that I've checked, especially now that Yahoo's been taken over by Bing. Um, but Oh, I guess it was sometime over the weekend. I was on, I was checking my AdSense and stuff, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if maybe if I bought some AdWords again, because I haven't had those in, I don't know, year or two years, something like that. I wondered if those would work to drive some traffic to the site, since you can really find us as easily with the search results. I mean, you can still find us. And I think we are still the top, except for on Bing yesterday. I noticed that somebody else, not even remotely related, it's just kind of a random result that got stuck in the top. But anyway, just to see if we if it would get us up in the search engine rankings again. And I did it, and nope, our ad was disqualified or whatever. I, I think disqualified was the term, or denied, or something like that. 
It's like, okay, screw you. I want my money back. So I've applied for a refund and hopefully I'll get my 50 bucks back and that'll pretty much be the end of my relationship with Google outside of Google Reader and Gmail. Wow, that's insane. So there's a, it didn't say policy violation or anything like that? No, it said to like check and make sure that we're okay in terms of their ad policies and stuff like that, which I've always been fine. Things have been approved in the past. Why it didn't go through this time, I don't have a clue. Um, if I want, I can get ads for other sites that I have that are pretty much dead, like Geek News Daily, which I haven't done an episode of in, like, I think, like a year and a half or something like that. It's been at least a year, close to a year and a half. But, yeah, that's, for some reason, just, I'm guessing, because Global Geek News is banned, I can't even buy ads for it. Interesting. Wow. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I can't say I'm very pleased with that. I've even kicked around the idea of maybe finding a new name for Global Geek News so that way we can get a new domain and get around these problems, but I don't know if that'll happen. Trying to do all the 301 redirects and get everything moved over is just a real pain. So I guess we'll just have to live off of the search engines. So, oh well. But anyway, this is episode 81, and of course we have a full bunch of stories like usual. Actually, there were some decent stories this week compared to the past couple of weeks that have been really slow. Um, don't forget, you can also check all of those out at globalgeeknews.com. We don't always happen to get to all the details and stuff, so it's always a good idea to go to globalgeeknews.com. You can get all the links for everything that we talk about and see all the details that we didn't happen to mention. And, of course, we always really enjoy it when people stick their own opinions in the comments of the show at globalgeeknews.com. Like I said, I think this is episode 82, so that would be the show to stick your comments in. Anyway, I guess we're ready to jump right into the stories, unless there's something you'd like to add. Uh, no, I was just going to attribute the uh, uptick in quality of stories to the transition from summer to fall. So, a new beginning, um, a rebirth. Uh, so, I think that's kind of why the stories are getting of higher quality as of later, less of late. I have this theory that it has to do with when Apple makes news. Whenever there's a lull and there's no news from Apple, that's when everybody else starts to bring back news again. Uh, if, if there's anything Apple-related, it's like news is dead for like a week or two before and after, usually. Right. Nobody wants to compete with them in a news cycle. That makes sense. Right. Well, that, that's there was a post, uh, I think it was on Mashable, Yeah, I think it was yesterday, that, or maybe it was this morning, about whether the coverage of the DAP if the coverage that Apple gets is justified, or if it's just a case of everybody in the blogosphere being Apple fanboys. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, I, I think some of it to an extent is justified, but when they get to the point where they're constantly publishing emails of the CEO, like it's top headline news, I think that gets to be a bit much. Yeah, and also it's a peer pressure thing. If, if CNET's going to cover it, of course... Um, TechCrunch has to cover it, and of course, Mashable has to cover it, and then of course, uh, Rewrite Web has to cover it. I mean, it's, it's, well, everyone's covering it. Why aren't you covering it? Kind of a situation. Yeah, and, and it's just a 
case of hits in the, for the most part. Because if somebody realizes that you have the story before they realize that somebody else has the story, they're going to come visit you. So it makes sense that everybody tries to cover the exact same thing, even if it's really annoying when I see the same thing 30 different times in my Google Reader. Yep. But, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, on to the story, starting with... Apparently studios are preparing a $30 per film movie rental service to launch later on this year. Yeah, this is... Uh, it's, the article says that it's going to be 20 to $30. I don't know if that's depending on the type of film or if it's actually... Um, they're going to be ranging anywhere from in there. So 20 25 22 28 uh, depending on the quality of the film. So this is going to be... I guess traditionally where um, like HBO used to have it uh, or am I wrong? Uh, no, pay-per-view. This is where mm-hmm. pay-per-view used to have it. So uh, after the movie release, but before the DVD, um, which, which makes sense when we're talking about 20 to $30. Yeah. The way they make it sound, it's like basically the day it moves out of movie theaters, it'll be available on this nebulous service where it'll cost you between 20 and 30 dollars i'm assuming that the 20 dollars will be for a regular movie 30 dollars would maybe be for a 3d movie hmm. for people that happen to have 3d tvs but i don't know i'm not a big fan of this whole idea by any means i i, mean, I can kind of see why they're doing it but i really don't see that there's a real market there because right. Essentially, anybody that's going to pay 20 to $30 to rent a one-time viewing of a movie, basically the only way you can really justify that compared to actually going to the movie theater would be if you have like at least four of your friends over and you have a nice, really fairly high-quality home theater set up as to where you can enjoy it like you would in a movie theater. Well, um, actually, the... the, the... I'm not. I'm. A, I'm kind of a fan of this. Not saying that I would use the service personally, but I think more choices, more options is always good. But when you also take an account, let's say a family of four, um, it'd be at least ten bucks each to go see a movie, and then that's not including the price of you know food and drinks. And if it's just a couple with kids, um, then you also have to factor in the price of babysitting. Uh, the mm-hmm. kids while you two go out. So for a family, this makes sense. Also for, let's say you're at a relative's place, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a family get-together, you, as a outing of a, like a family reunion, uh, we're talking about maybe you know 30 people in a room. You all can gather in the in the the home theater uh, area and watch this, which would be very economical. Um, and so more options is better. Um, the only thing is, uh, I hope that this is an option that's outside of the cable industry. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll uh, be like Netflix, possibly. They'll sign on to this Blockbuster, which we'll get to later on. Or maybe uh, a Hulu type of service in which someone can pay that, or Amazon. Uh, as long as it's outside the contract of a cable or DSL. Uh, I'm all for this. Uh, I'm not saying that I would use it, but once again, I could say probably maybe once in my life I might uh, utilize a service like this. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what the distribution methods are going to be like. If it's 
going to be part of like internet connected TVs or if you're going to have to have like a Roku box or a boxy box or an Apple TV or something like that. Or a Blu-ray player that's licensed for it or something. Yeah. Yeah, that too, which I, I don't know. It seems like if you, if you're going to have a Blu-ray player, you'd probably just be one to wait for the movie to come out, but I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. One that I really don't, care for I, I think the cost seems to be a little crazy I, I just I just don't think yeah. that there's a big enough market there with in terms of people that have a nice enough home theater setup that they'd be willing to give up going to a movie and enjoying that great setup compared to their own mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that market's big enough to be able to launch something like this especially in this economy yeah, we'll see. I mean, also think about like group homes, fraternity houses, um, or places with uh, a lot of people who might be physically challenged, and uh, and they may it may not be as easy for them to go see the movie, and they don't want to wait for it to come out on DVD uh, or or Blu-ray. Um, so th- there might be a whole niche market. But also, we're talking about digital goods, so infrastructure-wise, it, it's probably marginal for them to roll something like this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think it's probably too difficult on a technical end of stuff. But I don't know. You, usually, I mean, they're talking like after the movie comes out of movie theaters, and but before it's going to hit like pay-per-view channels and DVDs and all this other kind of stuff. Usually, by that point, there's at least a really good cam movie of it out on the different torrent sites like the Pirate Bay or whatever, or possibly even a leaked DVD rip or something like that. So to ask that kind of a price when you when there's those kind of alternatives out there, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of movie rentals, apparently Blockbuster has finally given in and declared bankruptcy just like I said they would. Yeah, uh, so the plan is to restructure. Um, they don't plan to close all their stores. They're still going to try to go for uh, the movie rental stores, the kiosks, the digital delivery, and mail service. Um, but um, And they still have strong deals with movie studios to keep providing content. Um, so the question is, will they learn from this, and will they truly restructure, or they'll just try to lay off people and uh, trim costs and not uh, modify their strategy at all. I think this is still part of their slow march to death. My, Of course, my prediction is still that they'll be dead and gone with by the end of next year. That's the prediction I made. What was that? It was more than a year ago that I made that, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and you wouldn't be the only one. <laughs> yeah, and so far that seems to be coming true. I, I know a couple of weeks Actually, it's been probably about a month ago I mentioned that the bankruptcy was coming mid-September. And this article doesn't particularly mention anything, and I know I saw a headline of another article or two saying that they'll be evaluating all the different stores to see which ones to keep open. And, of course, they've already closed a 1,000 stores in the past year alone. But from what I'm hearing, estimates are that they're probably going to close around 700 more stores, which I'm, I'm not sure how many that will leave them with. But yeah, I, they're they're basically dead at this point. Because I mean, in this article, they're like saying, "Oh, we have 125,000 titles at our disposal and stuff," and they've just made some 
um, new deals for movie distribution and stuff like that, which have been fairly recent. But how are you going to fit 125,000 titles into a kiosk? And you can't. Mm. You can't. Unless it's burn on demand. Yeah, I, I'm kind of doubting that. I'm sure because something like that would cause all kinds of other licensing issues and everything. But yeah, they're saying they have a library of 125,000 titles. Well, I've never seen 125,000 titles in a particular store, much less a kiosk. So I think that's figures just kind of bit of hot air as far as combining maybe all the different movies and all their different stores and whatever. But, yeah, basically they're dead. Um, apparently this whole Chapter 11 bankruptcy thing is so that they can kind of wipe out the $630 million that they owe to different companies such as 20th Century Fox that they owe $21 million to Warner Home Video $19 million. Sony Pictures, thirteen million, Walt Disney, eight and a half million, Universal Studios, eight million, Lionsgate, eight million, and the list goes on and on. And all those companies will essentially become part owners of Blockbuster, and everybody that has stock in Blockbuster is pretty much just screwed. They're out in the cold. Yeah, they lost all their money. Um, there's. Uh... There's no hope for them to get any of that money back with this official bankruptcy, and so that's unfortunate. But um, they they probably saw what you saw a year ago that the writing's on the wall that um, that's probably what's going to happen. Um, I, 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 I we already saw a little bit of their mobile strategy because I think they're on the uh, I think they're on one of these Android phones. There's a Blockbuster app, so I don't know if they're going to try to push that further to get more on mobile. Um, I think that'd be promising for them, but. Uh, I, I hope that they have some smart people coming in to help rejuvenate, rejuvenate that brand because Blockbuster is fading fast. Not only um, you know Mindshare, but also with stores closing, like you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm sure they'll be gone by the end of next year, probably this time next year. But I, I really don't see them, even if. They're kind of like wiping out their debt and they're closing a bunch of stores and everything. I really don't think that they can restructure in such a way that they can all of a sudden gain a bunch of ground and can be able to compete with Netflix and iTunes and Amazon's Video On Demand and Hulu and all these other services essentially overnight, which is kind of what they have to do if they have any chance of survival at all. Yeah. When you have when you have a company that that big and you're in that much trouble, they're just not that flexible to do something like that. Yeah, um, maybe the bankruptcy can give them some of the flexibility they need to to change. Truly, um, plenty of companies have come out of bankruptcy, um, but they've usually have learned what they need to do. Uh, the question is, has Blockbuster? Yeah, I'm going to go with no. But I don't know. I, th- I think they've got still too big of a reputation problem that's kind of part of their downfall. I mean, they're seen as old. They they haven't kept up with the newer, hipper companies like Netflix. And a lot of people, like myself, still have a bad impression of them from years ago, which is essentially why I 
stopped doing all rentals up until Netflix kind of came along, and I subscribed to that a year or two ago, and that with their late fees or whatever, end up getting charged all kinds of some crazy high charge just because you're like a day late on a movie. Yeah. So I, I think that's still fresh in a lot of people's minds, and... I know there's a lot of research that kind of shows this out. I was reading about it, especially more so in the book that I'm reading now called The Way We're Working Isn't Working, that essentially negative impressions are much harder to overcome than positive ones. Right. And yeah. also, the, the, they're saying that, I mean, I remember the old, when they rolled out their Netflix competitor, where it was a combination of a mail-in, and then you can take your DVD to the store and switch it out instead of mailing it in. Mm-hmm. And how they just discontinued that and really burned a lot of people. Yeah. Well, one of the nice things about like Netflix and stuff is I never have to worry about late fees or anything. I mean, I've got a movie that I have sitting here. I mean, I, I pretty much just use Netflix for the streaming, but I've got a Netflix movie sitting here that it's probably been sitting here for six months that I haven't sent back. I never get an email from them saying, hey, could you send this back? I never get any kind of a late fee, anything. It's just kind of a oh hey you still have that that's cool with us you don't kind of get, you don't get that kind of service from Blockbuster and and I think that's largely what made their downfall but anyway shifting gears just a little bit apparently the EU has ended its investigation into Apple over its iOS policy changes or thanks yeah. to its iOS policy changes. Yeah, uh, the EU is looking at uh, the restriction of app development and what tools can be used to submit apps uh, to the iTunes store. Also, they're looking at um, their policy about purchasing phones from different EU EU member states and how Apple would not honor the repair of one device purchased in one state and then brought to another state. Yeah, I thought that's kind of... A little on the strange side. I mean, yeah, I know they're all like technically different countries and whatever, but it's still mostly all the European Union. So why wouldn't you can take something to get it fixed in another country? Always kind of baffled me. But I don't know. It seems to me like I should be able to buy an i oh, excuse me an iPhone here, be on vacation over in the UK, and still be able to get my phone fixed if something goes wrong with it. But that's just me. But yeah, they've apparently dropped this investigation, which kind of surprises me to an extent, just because over the past couple of weeks, Apple has really relaxed a lot of their policy stuff as far as now and the whole hoopla over Adobe having a development environment that Apple wouldn't allow. Now you can develop on that. That's where you can... And there's other... Um, things like that. Um, I, I believe that was part of uh, CS5. There's a version of Mono that you can use to create iPhone apps. I think it's called Mono Touch. I think. Um, I, I'd have to double check that. But essentially now these tools that are basically anything other than Xcode can now be used to create apps. Which, why they were never allowed in the first place is kind of stupid because it, it basically compiles everything and makes it just like the same code that Apple has. It's just a different development environment. So it's good to see that they're kind of opening up and changing their ways just a little bit, but 
I don't know. I, I'm kind of surprised that the EU drops their investigation as soon as these new policy changes are announced. I'd think that they'd keep an eye on them for like another couple months to see kind of what happens. Yeah, it's good and bad. Uh, the good is that they did change their policies to make it a little bit easier uh, for uh, developers to, to join in. The bad thing is it took something uh, this far as in the possibility of prosecution from the EU to make them make that change, which means that they weren't they weren't collapsing over user demands. It was more over a uh, possible legal suit. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, that kind of surprises me. I mean, with all the bad press that Apple has received over various App Store policies, you'd think that they'd be a little bit more worried about bad press and everything among developers and stuff compared to possible fines from the EU. And with I, I've seen a number of things lately saying that a, there's a lot of iPhone developers that are now moving towards Android, thinking Android, thinking Windows Phone 7, stuff mm-hmm. like that, and basically moving away just because of App Store policies and whatever, and the fact that the App Store has so many hundreds of thousands of apps that basically it's kind of hard to get your app noticed unless it's something wonderful or you have some great PR behind it or something like that. So I don't know. I'm kind of surprised that it's taken them this long, especially when it's like they, up until this point, they've been locking down their policies more and more. Now all of a sudden it's more open than they ever were. It's like, okay, why did you close them down in the first place if you're just going to turn around and do this? Yeah, uh, that's because they operate in a vacuum. They don't do any focus testing. Um, they don't um, allow people to beta test. Um, and since they don't receive any outside opinion, they just go with their gut. And um, generally, actually, it's been working well for them. Um, that they haven't lost enough goodwill for them to feel like they have to change that policy. Even after the antenna gate, I mean, that's the main cause is because they didn't have testing outside their individual small test teams. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's how they operate. That's their MO. And until they actually see some major declines, which they haven't so far, um, I I think they're probably going to stay with that that MO. Well, like I mentioned earlier about basically the blogosphere being in love with Apple, I think as long as that kind of continues and instead of really being critical about Apple and the way they should be doing things, I think that the problem's not really going to fix itself. I think that Apple's just going to keep going on with the way they've been going until finally it they piss off enough of the journalists in the blogosphere that things kind of shift out of their favor. Yeah, they they need their uh, uh, they need their 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 giant screw up and a succession of several giant screw ups, and maybe some uh, uh, at that point where they use their um, their their greater than thou attitude in a combination with that would help in their demise, but. You know they they do make changes, so uh, we'll see. With especially in the tablet market, there's supposed to be like a slew of uh, competition. So we'll see if how long they can hold this 
goodwill and, and across product lines. Speaking of the tablet market, did you see that BlackBerry announced their new Black tablet Pad? today? I, I heard about the BlackPad. I don't know the, the details of it, but that's because that's I'm surely um, not interested in it at all. Yeah, I don't believe it was called the BlackPad. Let me... Um... Oh, yeah, that's the code name is BlackPad. Yeah, that's kind of just what everybody kind of assumed it would be. Let me bring that story up here. Uh, let's see, I know that was on Engadget that I saw that uh, black. It's called the BlackBerry Playbook. Yeah, Playbook. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can find the technical specs. There's been no price announced on it yet, but looking at it, it looks fairly decent. It's got a front and back camera with, I believe, there was like a, I think the... There's like one of the cameras is like three megapixel. The other one's five megapixel. The, the, the three megapixel is the front-facing camera. Uh, I believe it's got a one gigabyte of RAM. Um, it's 1024 by 600. Capacitive multi-touch display, seven inch, on based on the Cortex A9 processor, which is apparently a dual-core one gigahertz processor. Um, there's no mention of onboard storage as far as capacity, like 12, 16 gig, 32 gig, anything like that. So who knows what's going to happen there. It'll be able to play Flash 10.1. It'll do 1080p HD video, which I don't know how you can do 1080p HD video on that size of a screen. That's not technically possible. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure exactly where that plays in. Apparently... It's also equipped with HDMI, so maybe it means that you can hook your hook it up to your TV with the HDMI and then play 1080p HD video. I, I, I guess that's got got to be what it means. Apparently, it uses a micro USB jack. It has A, B, G, N, Wi-Fi, 2.1 Bluetooth, and apparently it comes in at 5.1 by 7.6 inches, and it's only 0.4 inches thick and weighs. About 0.9 pounds. Right. Again, there's and, no... And, and don't forget, no apps, because nobody knows how to write to it. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I think they're using some kind of a... QNX. Yeah, QNX, which I guess is some kind of like a mashup between BlackBerry OS and WebOS, kind of. Um, I don't know, I've really got to look into that more, but like I said, there's no mention of a price... They're saying it's not supposed to come out until the second quarter of 2011, which Microsoft's been saying all along that there's going to be Windows 7 tablets coming out before the end of this year, so they'll definitely be coming late to the game. I mean, by the second quarter of 2011, there'll already be a second version of the iPad, which will presumably have these different features like cameras and stuff. Um, also, there's no mention of battery life, which is going to be one of the big things for something like this. question is, can it rival the iPad's battery life, which I think is like around 10 hours of like video or whatever. But yeah, there's pretty much all the gadget sites, and gadget, whoever, um, Ars Technica, stuff like that, have video of it, screenshots, all kinds of stuff. Screenshots don't look too bad. I, I still don't know if it would be something that I would purchase, though. 
I'm yeah. you, I'm, I'm waiting to see what the Windows tablets are going to be like. If they're basically going to be just plain Windows 7 on a tablet, not even going to pay them a bit of attention. But if they're anything like, um, oh, I can't think of the UI, and I think we even mentioned it on the show four or five months ago, where it had a really nice user interface for doing things and everything. I'll, I may have to see if I can try and dig that back up again. If it's something like that, then that'll probably be the direction I go. But again, battery life is probably going to be paramount more than anything else. But anyway, back to my list of stories here. Next story, since we seem to be running a little on the long side. Um, the U.S. Is apparently bust, has busted Google, Apple, and in, Intel, and Adobe over a secret employee poaching pact. Yeah, I think also Intuit was claimed here um, in the story about how they had agreements saying, all right, we won't cold call your guys if you won't cold call, cold call uh, our guys and so on and so forth. Um, what we call that is collusion. <laughs> um, so uh, th- that was frowned upon by the U.S. government and said, uh, hey, don't do that anymore and uh Make it go away if you guys uh, settle. And so apparently a sealed settlement uh, is still under scrutiny by a judge. And depending on that ruling, um, whether to accept that settlement or not, um, this will all go away, meaning that the prosecution will go away and also uh, these no cold call lists will go away too. Yeah, apparently this has been going back essentially five years, basically between Google, Intel, Apple, Adobe, Pixar and whoever else, and apparently this agreement basically says you can't enter into any kind of agreements like this for five years, which if the government was really interested in stuff like this, why would you just limit it to five years? I, don't know, I, think, it's, I think the whole thing's kind of stupid anyway. I, mean, I can understand no cold calls or whatever, but at the same time, supposedly they can still try and go after other companies' employees at job fairs with LinkedIn, um, employee referrals, when the employees approach a different company directly. So, I mean, it's not like they're saying, hey, your employees can't come work for us or vice versa or whatever. They're just saying that you can't make place phone calls to try and hire our employees. Yeah, but... It's the interests of the company and not the employees, so that's really not good. Um, and because you know, it, it, it yeah, could grow into something building. Yeah. Well, what's the difference between contacting an employee to try and hire them via LinkedIn or via a phone call? Well, if they're not on LinkedIn, or what if their LinkedIn profile is locked down so they can't get requests? Um, I mean, let's say that. I know that you are an awesome programmer. I've seen your work. I want to hire you. And I, there's no means for me to get in contact with you and say, hey, we'd really like to have you look um, at this position that we're hiring for. That's, that's not fair. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of this whole thing. I think Personally, I think the government price just should have stayed out of the whole thing on this particular thing. I mean, if people want to go to other companies, they can look into it. I, I, I really didn't, I really don't see that big of a problem with this myself. Yeah. Well, 
Um, I've had friends who weren't looking for jobs and have been poached. Uh, in fact, this past Friday, a friend of mine uh, left AMD to work for Google. Um, so it, it's it's one of those things where some people are happy with their jobs because they don't realize what's out there. Mm-hmm. And um, ha- eliminating the possibility of serendipity of a job just falling on your lap that's uh, 20 times better, I think that's not something that a company should be able to take away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this will be interesting to see just how this plays out. I'm kind of curious to see if the judge will approve it or what will happen. I would assume that it would get approved, but who knows? Yeah, I'm less I'm less satisfied because the employees involved didn't know that might be on this do not call list. Yeah, I, I think as long as like if the employees were allowed to know this kind of thing, then I think something like this should be okay. If the employees weren't told about this, then maybe I could see a little bit of an issue. I, I think you need to be open with your employees about stuff like that. Yeah. But that, that's kind of really the only way I really see an issue myself. But speaking of issues, a couple of guys that decided to give Comcast issues when they hijacked their Comcast.net domain name have been sentenced to 18 months in federal prison and each required to pay back nearly $90,000 in restitution. Yeah, and um, apparently what they did is they just redirected the uh, Comcast.net to basically a, a landing page that said, hey, 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 we just hacked Comcast. So pretty innocuous. Um, they could have done things that were a lot worse, um, like uh, injected Trojans or viruses and or worms into the destination site, but it, they apparently didn't do that. Um, so... Uh, you said that they each need to pay at least $90,000, which is, I think is extremely funny because the estimated loss because of this hack was around $90,000. So they're making a significant amount of money from the people they're prosecuting, and plus they have jail time. So uh, I didn't know that you could actually get more money than, you're, than you lost because of, uh, of uh, a mean-spirited trick. Yeah, and... This is only two of the three men. The third man pled guilty and only got four months of jail, but he has to pay back over $128,000. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm guessing Comcast probably got the better end of this deal. But th- these three cult were part of a hacking crew called Cryogenics. How they got tracked down and stuff, I'm not real sure. But apparently this is all basically one big social engineering thing where they called up Comcast, tricked an employee into turning over the information that allowed him to access the email account that for um, whatever was the Comcast domain, Comcast.net domain was registered to, as to where they were able to redirect the Comcast.net domain name to their own site. Yeah, they probably just looked the IP address, see where it was registered, took that email address, went to the registrar, Clicked, I forgot password, send it to me. Check the email address, uh, change the password, and then went to the DNS settings and just went ahead and forwarded it to wherever they wanted. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that the sentences were as harsh for this. I mean, yeah, it, as memory serves, this event only lasted a couple of hours. I, I don't, I don't remember exactly how long. The, there's looks like maybe they've linked to an old 
uh, story in here. Let's see if I can... Yeah, it, it basically lasted for three hours overnight, so it's not like it was in the middle of a heavy business day or something like that. This was kind of an overnight thing. That's where by the time most people woke up, everything was over and back to normal. And to get 18 months in jail plus a $90,000 fine, that, that seems to be a bit much. I mean, I, I can see maybe six months in jail at absolute most, but considering there was really no true harm done, I think 18 months is a little excessive. I think 18 months is fine if it's one or the other. Both is just overwhelmingly harsh. Yes. Um, I mean, because it's 18 months, but they'll probably serve less than half of that. Um, uh, realistically, um, so if it, I mean, that's just the story saying just because it's eighteen months, I don't think they'll actually serve eighteen months. Um, so, but but both, that's a lot of money, and seeing how they're getting, uh, how Comcast is getting compensated more than what triple uh, the amount that they're out of, that seems way insane. I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But then again, our legal system is about as corrupt as our political system. So I can't say that I'm too horribly surprised by this. Yeah. But speaking of insane judgments, the Pirate Bay is headed back into court starting tomorrow for their appeal of the convictions last year of the three guys that run the Pirate Bay as well as their spokesperson, Peter Sundy. And they're going back to try and appeal their one year in prison, plus their fines of 2.8 million euros each. So, uh, that's pounds. Um, or pounds, yeah, excuse me. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're hopefully that with a year of education or a few years of education of understanding of uh, how the legal system works... Um, that their arguments should be heard by people who are actually educated enough uh, to make the right decision and understand that uh, that the previous uh, the previous uh, judgment was way way out of bounds uh, and that they're not found liable, especially with a year worth of ser- uh, year worth of jail time, which is just absurd. And apparently, the case is supposed to go until what the end of October. I, I think they said that it's supposed to take about two and a half weeks, I think I heard. Two and a half to three weeks. I know the original t- um, trial took right at two weeks. Yeah, yeah. they said 15th of October, so the middle of October. Um, so the good thing is this won't be drawn out, and we can actually uh, be around to remember um, uh, the, the conclusion of this. And hopefully uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be come, go to its logical conclusion, conclusion which is, um, you know, not guilty. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how this turns out. The whole thing, the whole appeals thing has been kind of screwy. There's been um, issues of judges with um, conflicts of interest and stuff, and I think there may even be one of the panel of judges on this case that still has a conflict of interest but has supposedly been cleared for this case. Because mm-hmm. I think he's part of some like copyright lobby group or something like that. Um, also, the appeal was pushed back past the elections, which were what was that last week or two weeks ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is 
one of the major issues that they had was like, oh, or major issues that the pirate party had was like, okay, this is what kind of got us in office last year because it kind of rallied everybody. Why are we pushing this off till after the elections this time? So it's been, it's certainly big, a been a bit of a big deal over there in Sweden. So I'm kind of curious to see just how this turns out. I know like last year, I'll be waking up early every morning to watch the coverage kind of as it comes in of each different day of trial. Right. And it's also uh, noteworthy um, that none of the defendants are in Sweden anymore, nor are the servers. So that's different from the first go around. So that's also um, uh, be included in, in, in the, the consideration for the, this appeal. Yeah, um, there's a couple of them that are in Asia. In Asia, Peter Sunday's in Germany now, and one of them, he's not saying anything about where his location is, just because supposedly he had some <laughs> dealings. I don't know. I know. I'll back oh, I don't know how many years ago. I think it was back in like the '80s. So we're talking. 20 some odd years ago yeah. having to deal with a gang of skinheads attacking some Latin American tourists in Stockholm. So Yeah, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, why why they would be um, worried about that 25 years later, I don't have a clue, but anyway. Um, speaking of the courts, the Supreme Court is apparently interested in an innocent infringer case or in an innocent infringer case as part of the one of the tens of thousands that got sued from the RIAA. Yeah, she was in high school when this happened, and she was just using a file-sharing site, uh, LimeWire. Didn't know that she was um, doing something illegal, and um, she was appealing to try to get some uh, get some latitude because of her ignorance of, of what she was doing. Um, so this is finally going to court. Yeah, this has been kind of one of those really screwed up cases. As far as this girl says, she thought that she didn't realize her music was being shared. She thought that it seemed just like online radio to her, which how you can really confuse downloading songs with something streaming like a a Shoutcast radio stream or Pandora, I don't know. There's stupid people out there. Who knows? But one of the big things that really caught my eye in this particular story which I had never heard of this case before now which kind of surprises me because I tend to keep a real close eye on these kind of cases is that apparently she's bound by the um, copyright notice that was posted on the CD case even though since she downloaded the music online she never saw a CD case that's kind of stupid to say that you're bound by this copyright notice, even though you never had any knowledge of it whatsoever. Yeah, um, this is only, of course, if she was putting music into a shared folder originally, uh, and that was being shared out. Um, so it's interesting when this the so the when I stated that this is going to court, this is not going to court as of yet. But the Supreme Court uh, requested more information, which means that it has a higher chance of it being heard by the Supreme Court and it going to to trial. Um, but 
all these convoluted laws about CDs and who owns the music and all that. Um, hopefully, it'll be bore out. The Supreme Court generally is extremely smart and knowledgeable, uh, even when it comes to uh, digital rights. And uh, the more cases that go to the Supreme Court, the better as to actually hammering out what law, what the law of the land is. Yeah, I, I've been waiting for one of these cases to hit the Supreme Court ever since the RIAA basically started filing these mass lawsuits. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll take the case. Apparently, less than 1% of every case taken to the Supreme Court actually gets picked up by the Supreme Court. But with the Supreme Court interested in hearing more, apparently they're asking for comments like from the RIAA and stuff and such – that means there's about a 34% likelihood that they'll take the case. So I'm hoping that they'll take the, the case. I'm kind of curious to see how the court rules on this kind of stuff, especially when we have the U.S. copyright group that's still running around and suing people like crazy, which I probably should have put that as the next story. Did I not put that in the list of stories? Which story? Oh, more U.S. I think I must have left it out. More U.S. copyright group um, stuff, where apparently the judge has now kind of gotten fed up and started quashing some of the subpoenas that the U.S. copyright group has been filing by the tens of thousands for movies like Far Cry, The Hurt Locker, and now I hear that they're going after people that download gay porn films, but. Anyway, you mean that's, a, you mean that's a different story. But, yeah, anyway, um, speaking of online piracy, the three strikes law in France, in France which I guess is known as Hadopi, has, is now kind of in full force with uh, starting with only 10,000 IP addresses filed with saying, hey, this is one of your three strikes in just one day. And apparently that's expected to go up to 150,000 IP addresses per day. Yeah, the 10,000 are actually, I think, from reading the story, is the request to the ISPs for full dossiers on those people. So they go to the file sharing sites, see these people, and say, hey, they're sharing files. And then the 10,000 requests is what goes to the ISP to say, hey, give us all the information on these 10,000 people so we can serve them, and then so they can get the the strike. Um, And it's going to ramp up to 150 IP addresses in which people are going to be getting these notices, and also dossiers are going to be prepared and sent to to the law for file. I'm kind of curious to see if they can really keep this up, because supposedly... They have the ISPs have eight days to respond with the information, otherwise they risk a fifteen hundred euro fine per day per unidentified IP address. So just to put this into a little bit of a perspective, there was a story that we covered here the past couple of months that basically time the whole U.S. copyright group that I was talking about a minute ago when they were filing their their tens of thousands of lawsuits. One of the companies that's kind of fought back was Time Warner saying, hey, we've got, like, I think it was, what, four employees that handle mm-hmm. these um, DNS, these IP lookup requests. 
and as to where they could only handle basically 28 addresses per month. So I'm kind of curious to see how the French ISPs are going to cope with getting 150,000 per day. Yeah, and this is uh, going to get more complicated as uh, more and more of the population moves over to wireless communications and then moving on to possibility of people paying with cash. Uh, and, and so we're, we're, we're talking about maybe some 4Gs, you know, it's when LTE gets rolled out there that people might just be using that. And so how can you say, you know, who a person is or where a person is when they're mobile? Uh, mm-hmm. They could have purchased a dongle from someone else. Um, they could have resold it to someone else. And uh, how is that tested? So uh, I, I think this is going to be a failed experiment, especially when they ramp up to the 1500. Um, that, that's a lot of load. And then so that's going to roll over to the ISP saying, hey, we need to hire more staff. Thus, we have to charge more money. And then it's going to start an endless cycle. Yeah, it's going to make for... I think this is going to make for a really ugly little experience, and I've got a feeling that within a year this is probably going to be changed or repealed or something to that effect, because you can't sustain 150,000 IP addresses a day and everything. It's going to create major problems, and like we've said here in the past, smart people use VPNs to go outside of the country. So find you a VPN that goes outside of France if you're living in France and you and hopefully you should be okay. As far as I know, I think the Pirate Bay still has their VPN. I think it's like five euros a month or something like that. I want to say it's called iPred or something like that. Look it up. Anyway, speaking of things that get pirated, apparently the Canadian recording industry is demanding 45% of gross revenue from online streaming sites, which is basically why there are no online streaming music sites in Canada. Yeah, that's gross. That's not that's not um, revenue. I mean, that's re- gross revenue and not forty five percent of profits. So they have to pay fifty percent of how much money they're taking in before they even pay bills or employees. Yeah, and just to give that a little bit of perspective, the average Canadian radio station pays approximately 2.1% of its gross revenue to the recording industry. Yeah, huge difference. And the excuse they want to use is that um, that there's so much piracy, the reason why there are no, no streaming companies or businesses in Canada is because they're afraid of all the piracy that happens, not because they charge an absorbent amount of money. Yeah, and I know I know what happens because I've seen the technologies to do it, but I re- I've never really seen any issues as far as there being mass piracy of a streaming service. I you pretty much never hear of anybody pirating their music, getting all their music collection by pirating Pandora, and you just never hear of that. There, there's stuff for being able to like get copies of music off of like shoutcast streams and stuff like that. But legitimate streaming services like Pandora, you don't ever hear about people pirating stuff off of those. So why they're claiming that this is such a big issue that they have to keep the royalty rates so high and keep these streaming sites out, it's ludicrous. 
Yeah, it's just excuses, especially when people are pounding down their doors with requests to uh, do agreements. And the response back they get is, you know, F you, pay me, <laughs> 45%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, it's a, to the detriment of their people, unfortunately. So poor Canadians, they probably will never see services like uh, Spotify or um, or Pandora. Yeah, kind of sad. Who knows? Maybe someday that'll change. Or I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe the CRIA will be a little bit more like the RIAA, or at least be a little bit more flexible, like they are to an extent. But I don't know. I guess as long as they don't have their version of the DMCA in Canada, maybe that's a decent trade-off. Mm. Well, they already pay uh, tariffs on materials. Uh, for for to mitigate piracy, so that's also another thing. Like you know, if you are the Canadian Recording Association, why not just take the easy money <laughs> by by getting uh, your surcharge taxes uh, from from media instead of actually having to do the hard work of handling licenses? Yeah. Well, speaking of piracy, because we're running late with the show here. Mm-hmm. Actually, we got two stories to go in three minutes to do it. Now, well, we'll end up running over, but that's nothing new. U.S. lawmakers are looking to quash pirate websites. Whether or not they're in the U.S. doesn't matter. Yeah, and this is done by seizing the domain names, which is extremely aggressive. Um, so if you're a company, they can just yank you off the Internet, basically. Um what if other countries pass this law? What if China said, you know, Google, you are violating our terms of service or you're doing something offensive, and then Google.com gets off the gets yanked off the web? How would we here in America choose, I mean, feel about that? And that's basically what the U.S. is saying, is saying, I don't care if you're a U.S. company or not, we're going to snatch you off the Internet. Yeah, just think of what kind of an international incident it would create if the U.S. yanked the Pirate Bay off without even consulting Sweden or anybody like that where the pirate party is has a presence. Yeah, think of what the people on 4chan would do. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a bad law. It breaks basically the the fundamental spirit of the internet and um people uh, people the the RIAA and and all the MPAA, they all have money in Washington, so uh, there's a strong chance that something like this still could be passed. Yeah, this is being started by um, Senator Biden and, oh, what's the other senator's name? Ted Stevens? No. <laughs> no, I, I can't think of it. And I'm sure it's got to be somewhere. Or, well, I guess he's Vice President Joe Biden. Excuse me. And... Uh, Orrin Hatch is the senator, excuse me. Yeah. Orrin Hatch is the ones that are basically the authors or sponsors or whatever this legislation. So, yeah, hopefully this will won't go anywhere. I saw a post earlier on another site of basically all the technologies that wouldn't exist if this legi- if this was to have passed long ago. 
and they had everything listed on there like VCRs, DVDs, different companies that wouldn't exist that are major companies now. I this stuff goes is going way too far. I I can I don't like the idea, but I can at least see something like this if they were just blocking US access to a particular site, but to yank it off the internet just where nobody in the whole world can do it, that's kind of like overstepping your boundaries a little bit. Yeah, and even a national filter is just wrong. Yeah, I well, filters are easy to get around anyway, but even if this does go through, this is essentially just create one big game of whack-a-mole where for every domain that would go down, a dozen more would come up, just like every time a torrent site goes down, a dozen more come up. So it's not like it would really do much, I should say. Yes. But I guess the... The MPAA has said that they're um, fully cooperating. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's not just Orrin Hatch. Apparently, maybe it's... Um, yeah, Orrin Hatch is one of the people. Uh, Chairman Leahy is, I guess, the other big one behind it. And they said that they seem to be more than happy of help with helping Leahy and the Senate and House committees in the coming weeks to help strengthen the bill. I don't think it needs any more strengthening than this stupidity. And speaking of absolute stupidity, the Austrian government, or the Austrian collection societies, has decided that there needs to be a you-must-be-a-criminal tax on hard drives. Yeah, it's a really large amount, too. Uh, 21.6 euros for 500 gigs and... uh and under, and uh, 43.74 euros for 70, 50, 750 gigs and over, which is, to me, an exorbitant cost, especially for businesses. If you're doing a hard drive array or you're going to do a, a hosting, even if you're in your business and you're not a consumer, which means you're most li- less likely to do any piracy, you still have to, are subject to this tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... This seems to be crazy. Well, and they say that it's basically 500 and below or 750 and above. What do you do between the two? What if I yeah. got a 600 gigabyte hard drive? Undefined. Does, does that mean that I don't Loophole. have to pay, pay this tax? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Apparently this is just kind of an idea on the table. Who knows if it's going to get passed through or whatever. But, yeah, that would definitely make all the hard drive costs go up. Pretty much every computer cost would jump so anytime you went and bought a new computer it'd be there'd be a considerable more ex- expensive um, or greater expense attached to it my question is if I'm going to be if I was to live in Austria and to be charged this tax does that mean I this automatically allows me the privilege of going out and downloading all the pirated stuff that I want to Right, and also it seems like the 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 numbers are fixed; they're not proportional to the size or storage, which means that um, if you buy a phone like an iPhone, would that fall under this tax, or a smaller phone, or for your camera memory? Because they're solid state solid state drives, so are this only for spinning discs? Because nowadays almost everything comes with storage. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't you can't buy a DVR without storage. You can't you can't buy uh, a digital watch sometimes without some sort of storage on it. Um, so how far does this reach, this 
uh, euros. Um, I mean, you buy a camera. Does that count? An MP3 player. That's just, it's just it's just insane of the far-reaching aspects of this law if it does pass. Yeah, it amazes me that there's actually people this stupid that are running around this planet. Yeah, they're just ignorant. They don't know how things work. They're like, well, uh, people are pirating, so let's recover the costs another way, and let's punish everybody. I, I don't know how... Well, I've been to Austria. It seems like a, everyone seems extremely nice there. The place is extremely clean. Um, I, I, and I wonder if they're just a little overreaching in general, and it's just showing itself in this law because it affects us. Uh, I mean, it's in our, our purview. Um, let's let's hope that this doesn't pass for for the sake of Austrians. Um, but if it does pass, I mean, that's kind of what we we're talking about. Canada, they they pay a charge for for uh, for the price of all their media because of piracy. And I think this would just be a haven, uh, just like Canada is, if it is so uh, for piracy. Um, I know I if I'm already paying for it, why why would I pay? 21 you know euros for that's that's equivalent of what two albums mm-hmm. or maybe even three albums um why, why pay for those albums when i have that price built into my storage yeah well what happens if you decide to go on vacation to one of your neighboring countries and come back with a hard drive do you get stopped at the border and charged to tax on the new hard drive yep probably i mean this is one of those things where I kind of wish we would be a little bit more Darwinian about this stuff and just eliminate these idiots for the betterment of humanity. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, what, who the people who really need to be educated are the constituents who vote these people in the office. Um, they they should not be reelected if they're taking stances like this. Well, yeah, but collection societies, I I can't imagine that they've been elected to these positions. I think they're probably just stuck in there by recording industry people and movie studios and stuff like that, and the general public doesn't have any say on stuff like this, which is kind of insane considering the impact that it could have on the general public. I agree about the collection society. I mean, if the lawmakers pass this proposal, they should not be able to get their positions back next term. Yeah. Yeah, one of the many issues I have with the whole concept of a democratic society. But that's a very big story for a very big for a very different time and very different podcast, I'm sure. Anyway, that would be all of our stories for this week. Don't forget you can check out all of the stories in more detail by going to the links in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com as well as you can find all kinds of other Wonderful things on GlobalGeekNews.com, like last week's Tips of the Week posts. Or post, I should say, which I believe was Tips of the Week number 8. Which, if you're an Android user, you definitely want to check out this Tips of the Week. And it looks like, or this last week's Tips of the Week's number 8. And this coming Tips of the Week, which would be 9, looks like I've got some good links for that too. But there's a ton of Android-related links in in post number eight, everything from universal translators to how to answer a mute phone call by shaking your Android device, uh, an FTP server and client for Android, um, batch app uninstalls for Android, 
all kinds of different things, changing your Android screen resolution with LCD, with the program called LCD Density, all kinds of different stuff. And there's tons of stuff that's not Android, too. There's stuff for Windows Phone 7 developers, um, Windows 7 itself, if you're looking to maybe have a, a welcome message narrated to you when you log on, there's a link in there for that. Um, if you're looking for Linux stuff, there's stuff in there for Linux, like making Ubuntu hibernate instead of sleep. Um, if you're looking to maybe make the most back of your gadgets you're selling online, all kinds of different... I, mean, there, I think there's like 30 different links or somewhere around that in just last week's post. And that's... Po no, that, that one's post number 9, not 8. Sorry, excuse me. That was post number 9. So... If you're any kind of a do-it-yourselfer, interested in any of this kind of stuff, make sure to check out that post. And don't forget, you can always go back and check out all of the old posts. You can check out the category, which should be listed on the right-hand side. And there's a link for Tips of the Week that'll take you to all of the Tips of the Week posts that you can go through. A huge amount of wonderful resources that are linked to in those posts. Stuff that'll keep you busy for months. Anyway... That is pretty much it for episode 82 of the Global Geek News Podcast. Don't forget, we do live on your support, whether you're buying stuff from the Global Geek News store, like T-shirts, buttons, stickers, coffee mugs, whatever. That's probably one of the best ways to support us. And, of course, you can always donate using the donations page, or you can subscribe to our $5 a month plan, where every month you, you just your PayPal account just sends us five dollars to help help us keep going which now that kind of google's kind of screwed us we need that help more than ever anyway i guess that would be it don't forget you can send you can of course always send your feedback to globalgeeknews at gmail.com or you can get a hold of us on twitter which is at globalgeeknews or you can get a hold of me on twitter which is at pcnerd37 or you can get a hold of wesley on twitter who's at wesley83 and and, and if you look around the internet, I'm sure there's a million other different ways to get a hold of us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show in pretty much any different pod-catching service, whether it's iTunes, Zoom, whatever. Or, of course, you can always just stick the RSS feed in whatever player you use anyway. But don't definitely make sure to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show. That's the most important one. I don't care if you send us money or not. Just tell your friends about the show. Get them to listen to the show. Or even just... People you don't even know. Just tell them anyway. But I guess that's it, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. No, no, that's all. Alrighty, well, we will see you guys next week. Later. <laughs>